appealing to their emotions, trying to get them to obey by appealing to their emotions. And I think as moms, uh, probably one of the most typical ways that we might do this is by trying to make them feel guilty. You know, something like, you know, after all I do for you, this is how you repay me. And it's true, you know, as moms, we do so much for our kids and we make so many sacrifices. So it could be really easy for us to start feeling sorry for ourselves and think that our kids actually owe us obedience. But we want their motive for obeying to come from a love of virtue rather than a parent-inflicted guilt trip. Hello and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. In today's episode, I interview author Ginger Hubbard about six discipline mistakes that parents make. The conversation covers topics such as bribing, threatening, repeating instructions, appealing to emotions, and so much more. Ginger emphasizes the importance of reaching the hearts of our children versus obedience for the sake of obedience. If you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you'll know that I release special bonus episodes that usually fit a niche part of my audience. As I do have listeners of all faith backgrounds listening to the show, I would never want to intentionally offend or push my beliefs onto others. So I try to mark all of my bonus episodes specifically as Christian episodes or whatever perspective they're coming from. In saying that, this week's episode is coming from a Christian perspective, so if that's something that doesn't fit what you're looking for, check out the other episode that dropped this week with Andrea Herbert, or join me back here next Tuesday for a conversation that you don't want to miss. And now let's get into the episode with Ginger Hubbard. Well, Ginger, thanks so much for joining me today on the Minimalist Moms podcast. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I have been listening to your podcast for quite some time now. My sister and I are constantly sending each other episodes back and forth. So it's great to have you here. Before we get into our conversation today, we are going to be talking about six discipline mistakes parents make. So we're going to get there, but why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and we'll get started. Sure. I am Ginger Hubbard and I write and speak on biblical parenting and, uh, My goal is to always encourage parents to reach the hearts of their children, to look past outward behavior and get to the heart of the issue, and then point their children to the transformational power of Christ. Absolutely. Honestly, I'm I'm 35 now, and I think looking back at my own bad behaviors or looking to people in my life that I know, it's usually not whatever's coming out of us that's the issue. It's what is the root of the issue here, because it's oftentimes not what we're actually emoting or saying or doing. It is something much deeper. So you have written a book. I can't believe you just said that, which I read a few years back. Today, again, we're going to be talking about mistakes parents make. So we can just go through the six mistakes in order. I'll probably weave some questions in here. But what is one of the first most common mistakes you're seeing parents make? I would say uh, probably one of the number one most common mistakes that parents make uh, that really fails to reach the heart. That's the problem with these uh, faulty child training methods is that they fail to reach the heart. Uh, But probably I would say the number one one that I hear so often is bribing. 
Honey, if you obey mom in the store today, I'll give you some candy. I observed this mom in Walmart not too long ago telling her son, he looked like he was probably maybe two and a half or three years old. Uh, he, he was going in the other direction and she told him to come to her. And the child heard her, but then he uh, took off running in the other direction. And in desperation, this mom yelled down the aisle of Walmart, come to mommy and I'll give you a sucker. And immediately, of course, the child went from hearing impaired to exceptional hearing, as they do when a bribe is is thrown out there, and came very quickly to mom's side. But the problem is that this is not training the child in obedience. This is really rewarding the child for stubbornness, giving them a reward in order to get them to obey. That encourages them in selfishness. Because their motive for obeying is, sure, I'll obey for what I can get out of it. And that's a selfish reason. Children should be taught to obey because it's right and because it pleases God not to get a reward. I think that, again, going to the heart issue there in that moment, it was like, oh, I can get something if I listen. So therefore, I'm only listening for the reason that I get something. Otherwise, if I get nothing here then I won't listen. And oftentimes it could be something more serious. We don't have time in the moment if our kid is trying to cross the street and a car is coming. We just need them to listen. So I think training them up in those little moments of getting them just to listen to us without having a sucker ready or without having something to offer them is huge because it could be, honestly, I don't want to sound so extreme or hyperbolic, but it could be a life and death situation. Like I need you to listen now and we can talk about it afterwards and have that dialogue. However, right now I just need your heart to be in a position of obedience. So let's have these little practices in Walmart or wherever it is we may be. Is that what you're saying? It is. It's exactly what I'm saying. But also from a spiritual standpoint, we want our children to do what is right out of a love of virtue, a love for what is right, not out of what I can get out of it. So it's it goes back to doing what's right for the right reasons, not for selfish gain or selfish reasons. Absolutely. All right. Well, what is the second thing that you're seeing? You said bribery. What's number two? I would say number two would be threatening. Now, this one usually comes after we have uh, repeated our instructions several times to no avail. And so we pull out the big guns, you know, something like if you don't start sharing your toys right now, I'm going to send them all off to kids who will share. But this teaches them that mommy doesn't mean what she says. You know, how many of our parents in an attempt to get us to appreciate our toys or share our toys talked about the kids on the other side of the world who don't have any toys? But how many of our parents actually followed through with that threat and gathered up all of our toys, boxed them up, taped them up? and ship them off to 10 buck too. Probably not too many. So we need to avoid saying things that we don't mean because this is how we get ourselves in a pickle. If we tell them there's going to be a consequence, then there needs to be a consequence. Because if there's not, we're going to cause our children to question our word. And if we cry wolf too many times, we'll eventually lose our effectiveness because our kids will, uh, they'll lose respect for our word. They'll lose respect for our authority. So our children need to have confidence that our word is our word. And when they have that confidence, it actually brings a sense of security in their lives. 
And so that's why we want to do that. And, you know, and let me just say up front here, I'm talking about these six mistakes that parents make, but, and, you know, when I read, I wanted to be a great mom. So I read all the parenting books I could get my hands on, even wrote a couple of parenting books, but, but, you know, Diane, don't think for one second that I didn't fall into every one of these traps myself at some point, because none of us are going to get it right all the time. As a matter of fact, I remember a time when I, uh, threw out a threat and I totally knew better, but I did it anyway. I had been telling my kids all afternoon that they needed to get their rooms cleaned up because it was a Tuesday. And on Tuesday nights, my kids got to spend the night with their Nana and Papa. And that was the highlight of their week. So I needed them to get their rooms cleaned up before I took them over to their Nana and Papa's house. And they were just procrastinating, doing other things, ignoring what I was telling them. Basically, they were just disobeying. And so instead of dealing with that uh, from a heart-oriented perspective, um, I threw out a threat. I said, if you guys don't hurry up and get these rooms cleaned up, you are not spending the night with Nana and Papa tonight. But I knew good and well, I was not about to forfeit my night alone with no kids in order to follow through with that threat. Uh, in Matthew 537, it says, simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. That means that we are to say what we mean and mean what we say, or we're going to exasperate our kids. So really anything other than that is unfair because they don't know when to take us seriously. So we need to think before we speak and try not to issue that warning or that command unless we're willing to follow through uh, as a definite answer. Yes, this isn't exactly related, but I think the my friend and I were chatting last night about how with doing household work, doing chores, there is a period of time where you're going to have to expend much more effort and energy in teaching them how to do this because they're not going to do it right the first several times. But then in the long run, when you have these adolescent age children, these teenagers that have properly been taught, you have people all around your house that can help maintain it. But it in, again, in that forefront initial time period, it's so much effort and energy. And it just seems like, especially if you're a working mom, you're just like, how do I, how do I give this this of myself. However, that said, in regards to what you're speaking to, if we put in the effort to follow through, to mean what we say, it's really hard not to be reactive and to bring it to the prefrontal cortex and say, like, I'm going to step away and get um, catch my breath really fast, or I'm not going to give a consequence until I really know what that is. It's really hard to do that. But again, on the on the back end, you're going to be really happy that you invested that initial time. Again, not exactly a, a relation, but it made me think of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. What would be your third mistake that you have noticed pe- parents making? Repeating our instructions. You know, if you think about it, uh, threatening is along the same lines as repeating our instructions or going back on our instructions, which are also, you know, traps that we don't want to fall into. My oldest stepson, Hudson, he is a total history buff, especially when it comes to battles and war history. And he's really helped me. I didn't know a lot about battles and war history at all. And he's really helped me to have a deeper understanding of uh, battle strategies and how our military works. And one thing that I have found so interesting is that when we look at some of the most admirable and successful generals of our country, we see that they all had one thing in common. No matter how they operated, they all had one thing in common. They were certain of their commands before they issued them. 
you know, soldiers don't respect or respond well to an uncertain or inconsistent leader, which is interesting because that goes right along with what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 8. He said, for if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? And that's how it is in parenting. If we issue these half-hearted commands to our children and we don't require them to follow through immediately, we send mixed signals. And that can even cause our children to question our own positions in the family because they become uncertain of when and how to respond to our instructions. When we're uncertain and inconsistent and wishy-washy in our instructions, it can cause our children to be insecure and unsure of their own actions. So we want to strive to lead our children with confidence so that they can find security and stability in their call to obedience in their position in the family. I'm curious if you think I've also, I was talking to the same friend last night And she says she has rules for a reason. So we were out in nature and my son decided it was in the fifties and my son decided to take off his shoes. And I was just talking about how some people would look at that and be like, I can't believe you're letting him run around in this weather without shoes on. And to me, I'm like, well, there's really no reason if you're comfortable and I don't, I don't really care. I don't have a rule, a strict rule that says you can't do this. It, It would be arbitrary if I said, put your shoes on just to have shoes on. Do you believe that? Do you believe rules for a reason and that we put too many rules on our kids? I do. And I think you make a very good point there. You know, decide we need to choose our battles wisely. You know, if you're okay with him running around on bare feet, then that's okay. That's totally fine. Obviously, if you're somewhere where there's sharp things or there's stickers in the grass, you know, then you would require obedience. You have to put your shoes on because that's in the child's best interest. But I do think that sometimes we put unnecessary rules on our kids. My daughter, Alex, loved to be barefooted. And so I allowed her to play outside without her shoes on. Her feet were nasty looking half the time. But that was just not a battle that I wanted to fight. That was okay to me. It wasn't really an issue of disrespect. It wasn't a safety issue because... We don't have stickers in our yard. And so I allowed her to do that. But if we got ready to go, you know, to Walmart or something, and and I know that she may have to go to the restroom, I don't want her to walk in a nasty bathroom without her shoes on. So I'm going to say, no, today you have to wear your shoes. So we just need to decide, you know, what, what are the battles that are important and which ones are not? And I do think we can put unnecessary rules on our kids. And so we need to think, is this really an issue of, obedience and disobedience. Why am I saying no? Um, You know, if it's something that we can say yes to, then say yes, because especially when they're little, there's so many things that we do have to say no to. So yeah, if it's something like that, then, then that's fine. You just, each situation is different. You know, just like uh, I have one, I had one mom friend that allowed her child to pull all the pots and pans out in the kitchen. There was, there was a, the cabinet that the, the kid loved to play with the pots and pans. So mom would let them pull those out, pull out the Tupperware from all the cabinet. That's okay. That was okay with that mom. And that child knew that that was okay. In our home, I did a lot of cooking. So I didn't want pots and pans and Tupperware all over my kitchen floor. So in our home, it was a rule that you're not allowed to pull those things out. Now, is one household right and one household wrong? No. We have to go with our own personalities and what works in our family, study our children, and we come up with rules that we feel work the best in our family and are in the best interest of our children. And that may look different in each home, and that's okay. 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, one question before we get to the fourth one. So kind of combining the second and third thing that you see people doing, for example, my son came down the other day, I was right in the middle of something and he wanted to play with Play-Doh. In my head, I was like, well, I don't really want to clean that up. So my initial reaction was, buddy, I, I don't want you getting that out right now. That's going to be a mess. And then I thought about it and I was like, I did what you said. Like, is this a battle I want to fight? Or is there really a reason he can't have the Play-Doh out? I was like, you know what? Actually, that's okay. You can play with the Play-Doh at the table. So my initial reaction was no. Within 30 seconds, I had shifted. Maybe not even 30 seconds. My husband will say, you weren't being consistent in that moment because you changed so quickly. And to me, I was like, well, I changed my mind. And right. is, is there room for that when following through with what your word is? You know, I don't think that's uh, a, a terrible thing, but I think that if you did that all the time, that it would definitely send mixed signals and it would teach the child that your yes is not yes and your no is not no. And then that's going to cause them to whine and beg and plead because when mom says no, I can convince her to change her mind. So, you know, I mean, every now and then, you know, you quickly say, you know, yeah, wait a minute. Yeah, I think that would actually be okay right now. I don't think that's a big deal. But if you do that all the time, I think it could definitely lead the child into the trap of begging and pleading because they realize that your yes is not yes and your no is not no. And that's why Proverbs fifteen twenty eight. I love that verse. It says that we're to weigh our answers. Again, that means that we need to think before we speak. If he asks for the Play-Doh, try to get in the habit of when my child asks for something, don't respond immediately. We don't have to respond right away. Take five seconds and think, is there a reason I have to say no to this right now? Because if there's not, then I'm going to go ahead and say yes. Then you're not getting into the wishy-washy parenting. So no, I don't think that's going to scar him for life that you changed your mind. But I think if you did it on a regular basis that your husband is absolutely right, it teaches them um, that they can talk you out of it. And then you're going to have the whining and the pleading and the begging. And we don't want our kids to get into the habit of that either. All right, we're halfway through. What's the fourth thing that you see? Uh, appealing to their emotions, trying to get them to obey by appealing to their emotions. And I think as moms, uh, probably one of the most typical ways that we might do this is by trying to make them feel guilty. You know, something like, you know, after all I do for you, this is how you repay me. And it's true, you know, as moms, we do so much for our kids and we make so many sacrifices. So it could be really easy for us to start feeling sorry for ourselves and think that our kids actually owe us obedience. But we want their motive for obeying to come from a heart, a love of virtue, a love for God, um, rather than a parent-inflicted guilt trip. And let me just say that putting a guilt trip on our kids, you know, I, I, I consider that a deceptive philosophy because um, it might manipulate the child's behavior. But even if it does, it stems from a wrong motive. It would be with a motive of people-pleasing. And people-pleasing is not a healthy way to live. Take it from a still-recovering people-pleaser. I know better than anyone, it's not a healthy way to live. And I think a lot of times the temptation to appeal to their emotions and make them feel guilty stems from our own 
selfishness. Um, we're selfish by nature and we're tempted to internalize it when our kids choose to disobey our instructions. But here's what we need to understand. When we're being self-focused, we're going to view their disobedience as a wrong against us instead of a sin against God. And that's a problem. Um, again, we don't want our motive uh, for our kids to obey to be because it pleases us, because that can cause our kids to develop unhealthy habits. Uh, again, that can lead to that emotional bondage of people pleasing. We don't want that. We want their motive to be uh, to do what's right because it's right and because it pleases God, not necessarily because we want them to be people pleasers. Uh, Colossians three twenty says, "Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord." That's the right motive that we want to encourage our kids in. Um, I don't think I have any other comments on that. I think that, yeah, again, it's like, what is your heart motive and pleasing people? Because a lot of times I think looking to us as adults, we can be driven by our ego to please people and it becomes this selfish, at least it has been for me. It's like, I want to please them because I want to feel good about myself. And then it becomes a cyclical thing that isn't, um, there's no virtue in that. It just is like a boasting of my own self. I don't know if you can relate to that. Mm-hmm. And wanting others to think and uh, wanting others to think well of us. See, I have a hard time saying no to things that I should say no to things. Um, <laughs> and, and it keeps me from really doing what God has called me to do. That's a struggle because I don't want to let people down. I don't want people to think, you know, that I'm not serving them. And so, but it's just a, it's a wrong mentality. You know, there's certain things that we do need to say no to so that we can fulfill a better, higher calling. And so that's something that God is still working on me with too. Yeah. Yeah. Or for me, I think it was just, I want people to like me and to think that I'm this person that can always fill this role. But then when you start to take on too much, you start disappointing them. So it just, it becomes a big mess of what is the, what is the virtuous thing to do here? And sometimes it's to say no and allow someone else to fill that space. Yep. Or sometimes it's to say no and to have margin in your schedule. So again, I think these little habits are tendencies that we create in our children can negatively affect us in adulthood. And that's why it's so important to address them now while we still have some time. Yep, absolutely. What is the fifth one? Okay, the fifth one, this is actually my personal favorite when it comes to uh, faulty ch uh, child training methods that really fail to reach the heart, and that's counting to three. It's actually what I titled my first parenting book, Don't Make Me Count to Three, because we see these parents all around us who say, you know, if you don't do this, by the time I count to three, you're going to get it. And then they start their count. They say, one, child doesn't move. Two, child still doesn't move two and a half. And so it goes. But here's the thing. Children will rise to the standard that the parents set. If we don't expect our children to obey until we count to three, they're probably not going to obey until we start counting. You know, why not expect instant obedience? This leaves no room for question, no room for confusion. It's so much easier. It's more peaceful and it's definitely more biblical. And you know what? It's like you said, I love the illustration you gave um, early on, Diane. If my child is about to step off the curb into a busy street, I don't want to have to count to three before he obeys. Training children to quickly obey, that really should be the standard. So we need to be aware of things like bribing and threatening and repeating our instructions and counting to three and raising our voices because those things really draw us away from teaching our children to instantly and completely obey uh, in a way that's going to bring safety and well-being to their lives. Mm-hmm. 
I think for me, I am someone that likes to know all the answers and the reasons behind why I do things. I want things to make sense before I fall through. I know that's not the best uh, personality to have. However, it is a little bit how I've been wired. Um, all that to say, I think for kids, they are questioners and they're trying to um, make sense of the world. And again, in those instances, it's like, we can't make it make sense for you right now. Maybe if you're someone who your kid is questioning a lot, maybe you can have those conversations. Like mommy will always try to explain to her best of ability, but we need to get into a habit of you listening right away. I guess, are you opposed to someone taking that extra time to explain something? Are you someone that's like, no, you just listen to listen. No, I think um, definitely it's okay to give children instructions and tell them why you're giving them instructions. Um, one thing that I told my kids when they disobeyed is I love you too much to allow you to disobey. You know, that's a good reason for me to give you instructions um, because I have your well-being and your safety at heart. And, and the Bible says that when you honor and obey your parents, it goes well with you. And if you don't, it doesn't go well with you. So I love you. I want to teach you to live wisely. So as far as specifics, I think especially as children get older, um, it's okay to have some mature, respectful uh, questions and reasoning. Um, I think that's definitely appropriate as they get older, as long as it's done in a respectful way. But you're actually leading me right into the last uh, discipline mistake that parents make, and that's reasoning with small children. When they're young, they really need to learn the importance. It's like, you know, let's go back to crossing the road again. You know, you tell that child's about to step out in that traffic and you say, stop. If your child's always expecting this long, drawn out reason behind your instructions, that could be a matter of life and death with a small child. So, you know, sure, as they get older, respectful questions, dialogue, uh, reasoning is totally fine. Um, you know, done in the right way. But what I'm talking about is reasoning with the really young child. Uh, for example, um, you know, mom asked her six-year-old, um, honey, don't you want to come and eat lunch now? And the child says, no, thanks, mom. I'm playing with my cars. And then the mom says, oh, but sweetie, your hot dog's going to get cold if you don't come and eat it now. And mom and, and the child says, well, that's okay. I, I still think I'd rather play with my cars. And then mom goes on and on, you know, with something like, well, I thought if you'd come and eat right now, maybe we'd have time to go to the park after lunch. And then the child's like, well, okay, I'll be there in just a minute. But you see, instead of just simply telling her young child what she, ex what she wanted and expecting that obedience, this mom is trying to talk her young child into obeying. Uh, parents who try to reason with really young children normally end up frustrated and quite often outwitted, and they usually wind up resorting to a bribe in order to get the response they're after. Reasoning with young children in an attempt to get them to obey, it causes confusion because it places that young child in a position that they are not mature or responsible enough to handle. It erases that line of authority between the parent and the child, and it places that child on a peer level with mom and dad. So that's, that's not healthy. That can even cause insecurities in our children when they're that young. And so we need to clearly instruct our young children and then expect obedience. Well, one more challenge I have to that would be, I think for us, the dinner table is always something that I want to have, um, Everyone needs to come have dinner together. It's the end of our day. Mm -hmm. But for something like lunch, if my son or daughter has said, I'm going to keep reading. I'm not quite hungry right now. I used to be like, no, you're going to come eat right now because I said so. 
And then I realized, again, is this a battle I want to fight? Maybe they're not hungry. And if someone tried to force me to eat when I wasn't hungry, is there room for flexibility to say, like, maybe you're not hungry? Or should we make them come to the table and say, like, maybe you don't even know you're hungry until you sit down? Right. Well, again, I think, you know, that goes back to what works with your family. Um, I do think there's a danger in letting young children call the shots. But, you know, like if you're saying at dinner time you want the whole family to eat together, I think that's awesome when the whole family eats together for dinner because that is one of the few times in our overly busy lives that we do just sit together and talk and eat and enjoy conversation with one another. So I think that's important. Um, so what I did with my kids, and then I'll address what you're saying, but I found it a battle at night to get my kids to come because in the afternoons, that's when my kids had free time. That's when they could read a book or they could watch their favorite show or, you know, play a video game. That was their free time. And so sometimes they would get frustrated when I would say they're in the middle of watching their show or in the middle of playing their game. And I say, okay, it's time to come to dinner. Well, I found, you know, I was exasperating my kids in doing that because I know if I'm in the middle of watching a program, I don't want someone to just say, okay, shut it off and come on, you're done. And so I found a great way to show respect for my kids, um, even when they were younger, was by giving them a five-minute warning. I would say um, dinner's going to be ready in about five minutes. And so, you know, be wrapping up what you're doing, getting ready to pause that. And then after dinner, you can go back to what you're doing. That was a way to show respect, even for my young kids, to give them mentally time to prepare. Same with when you're ready, when you're about to go somewhere, you're about to run errands, go to the grocery store. I would give them a five minute warning because they're in the middle of something. Sweetie, we're going to be leaving about five minutes. So be thinking about wrapping that up. So that's how I did that was with a five minute warning. Now back to you with the lunch thing, letting the the child decide when they want to come eat lunch, as long as that's not interfering with your rule at night, as long as that's not confusing them, then that that's up to you. That's another one of the things. That's not a black and white issue. It's either if you're decide if you've decided that it's okay for the child to decide when he eats lunch and that works at your home, then that's fine. But if you see, well, by me allowing him to have this choice, then he's not being respectful at night, then you may need to take that choice away until he's responsible enough. You see what I'm saying? Oh yeah, for sure. I think that I am someone that leads or that uh, has a tendency towards authoritarian parent because for me, we didn't have a ton of rules and we probably needed a little bit more structure and what we were allowed to do and not allowed to do. So for me, I've kind of swung so far in the opposite way but then I can be too overbearing. And again, with little kids, I understand. I don't know if it was you that said this or what book I had read it in at one point, but someone had likened it to having a horse on reins and the older your children get or the more mature and more responsibility that they've earned, you can let go a little bit on the reins. Like they have shown you mm -hmm. that they're responsible to handle that a little bit of looseness. So I do understand that we want to have that structure and create that for our little kids. Totally makes sense to me. But I also don't want to be someone that's so rigid that you have to come to the table right now for lunch. And again, it doesn't mean the child dictates all of the decision making for us because I also think that could be a really slippery slope of where you're mm -hmm. making all the mistakes that you just mentioned. But yeah, I think that we do have to strive to find balance, which I guess that is honestly every episode of my podcast probably always comes back to that. Like what is a good balance for our family? It's going to look different for everyone. However, there needs to be a, a healthy balance here. Sure. And just be clear on that. Mm -hmm. And mom and dad, you know, talk about it as a couple. You know, what are the rules that are hard, fast rules? And what are ones where we can give some flexibility? 
and, and let the child decide. And again, you're, and you're so wise in that we need to keep those, the rein tight when they're younger. But yeah, as they learn obedience and respect, then yeah, we start giving them more and more freedoms. Uh, the problem is that so many parents do the opposite. They're letting these small children call all the shots, make all the decisions, uh, decide everything for themselves, and they're not mature and responsible enough to handle that. So you have these out-of-control kids, and then as they grow into their teen years, the parents try to tighten the reins because they start becoming these rebellious teenagers, and it's because they have, they've called the shots for so long that that's the opposite of what of what God says we're to do. We're to train them when they're young, and then we give them those freedoms as they mature and as they earn those freedoms. My teenagers had a a lot of freedom. They didn't even have a curfew because I trusted them, and they were so responsible and respectful. I knew where they were. I knew what they were doing, and they were making wise decisions. So it wasn't, if you're not in by 1030, you're grounded. I was able to do that. I was able to give them more freedoms because they grew up um, learning obedience and respect and to make wise choices. Um, so they they naturally were doing that when they moved into their teen years. So they had a lot more freedom than a lot of teenagers have today. Mm-hmm. That, that's the, the that's the dream, right? <laughs> Just yeah, that's the dream. <laughs> allowing that, yeah, allowing those reins to slowly loosen as they get older, trading them up in the way yep. they should go. Absolutely. Well, Ginger, this was wonderful. Where can listeners connect with you online and hear more from you if they want to do so? Uh, they can find me at my website, um, gingerhubbard.com. And right now I actually have two specials on all of my parenting resources. Um, I've got my wise words for moms chart. I don't know if you're familiar with that, Diane, but it's just a quick reference flip chart uh, that helps us reach past outward behavior. It has 22 different behaviors listed. Um, And then I give parents a very simple, quick three-step plan to help them get past that outward behavior and address it from a biblical perspective. And so for your listeners, they enter the code parenting at checkout. They can get any of my resources at a 10% discount. So um, another great way that I, uh, my favorite way actually to connect with um, folks is two ways. One is on Instagram. Uh, I'm at ginger.hubbard. I offer daily encouragement and parenting advice and tips. I do little videos with parenting tips. And then also uh, I have a podcast, the Parenting with Ginger Hubbard podcast, where our goal is to encourage and equip parents to reach beyond outward behavior, address the issues of the heart, and point their children to the transformational power of Christ. And one thing that folks say so often about our uh, podcast is that from a practical standpoint, we are very passionate about helping parents move past the frustrations of not knowing how to handle issues of disobedience and defiance and into a very confident, well-balanced, heart-oriented approach to raising their kids. So those are some ways that you guys can connect with me. Absolutely. Like I said, my sister and I have been listening to it for years, so I highly recommend your podcast. But quickly before we go, I'm not sure if you've listened to my show before, but I always ask my guests two questions at the end. And again, these are just quick responses. But what has been a beneficial resource in your life that you'd like to share with the listeners? Well, probably what I just talked about, my wise words for mom's chart. I actually created that for myself because I knew when my kids were struggling with things like whining and tattling and lying, all these different things they struggled with, 
uh, I, when I was in the heat of the moment, I would find myself uh, not relying on God's word and God's wisdom, but my own. And that was never beneficial for anyone. So I had mine, I punched holes in it, had mine hanging in my kitchen and just used it as a quick reference flip chart when my sweet little angels grew horns and I was at a loss for words. So it was just a great tool for me in the heat of the moment. So I highly recommend that. Okay. Uh, well, then my last question is, what is something you can't stop talking about? Well, you know, we're coming up on the holidays on Christmas. So our family is all about asking, you know, what do you want for Christmas? So right now I am all about talking about the Capri Blue Volcano candles. Okay. <laughs> I'm telling everybody that's asking me, do you have any ideas for Christmas for you? And I'm like, I want the Capri, uh, the Capri Blue Volcano candle. I love candles. I have candles lit all the time. Every night I light them, light them, but I'm very sensitive to smells. A lot of certain candles will give me a headache and it's just a really light, clean, smell that doesn't give me a headache. So that's what I'm all about talking about right now. I just Googled it. It's really beautiful too. I love that blue color. It is. It is. It's just a great, it's my favorite. Love it. Cool. Well, I will be sure to include all of these links in the show notes. Again, this was incredibly helpful for me. Just good reminders. We just need to keep reminding ourselves. I know it gets so hard, especially when they're little and they're not following our ways, but if we can be less reactive, more thoughtful, intentional, I really do see, think we can see um, behavior change. And I mean, just keep praying when it doesn't happen and just appreciate this help that you've given us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Diane. I hope your folks were encouraged. What did you think of the episode? I hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links, resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at minimalistmomspodcast.com where you can find the entire podcast archive as well as my book, Minimalist Moms Living and Parenting with Simplicity or other ways to connect or work with me online. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a rating or review of your favorite episode. Lastly, sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends on social media is very helpful and will encourage others on their journey to think more and do with less.